0: This is channel two five three. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies,
1: the people that I really want to help probably couldn't afford. They couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. I can help a parent, who then goes and talks to a friend and helps right. that friend mm-hmm. understand what's in that IEP, and then that friend mm-hmm. talks to another friend and helps that friend understand what's in the IEP, I have three parents who can now go sit at an IEP meeting and ask the right questions,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, make sure they get what their kid needs, and they know how to hold people accountable.
2: Interchangeable White Ladies
3: Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We
2: fly fly
1: Alaska! Alaska.
3: Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One,
0: two, 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 interchangeable. White Ladies! Interchangeable. Interchangeable. White
4: ladies.
3: Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our
2: essential question today, how do we create systems that support all learners with a specific focus on supporting students with disabilities?
3: Our special guest today is Monique Seward, a sixth grade math and science special education teacher, a student advocate, an IEP consultant, and the author of the blog, Rebirth of
1: a Teacher. Welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. We are so
3: excited um, to have you here and have you share your expertise and just tell us a few stories. Um, I think my first encounter with you was definitely via Twitter. And I think I saw someone like a a tweet that you you had like written and I was like, oh, okay. And so then I just couldn't stop reading your tweets because your hot takes and your like responses to things, not only do they align with some of the same things I value, but also you're really funny on Twitter. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but (laughs) it's a great platform for you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's orient our guests a little bit, or sorry, our listeners a little bit. Can you talk a bit about where you are teaching and what made you become an educator?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm currently teaching in DeKalb County, which is a suburb of Atlanta. Um, I first moved to Georgia in 2002 to start my first teaching job after being inspired by um, a special education teacher back home in Indiana who encouraged me to become a teacher. So I've been here ever since. Um, This is actually my, I want to say technically my seventh year teaching. I took a few years off to homeschool my kids. So now I'm back in the classroom. Nice.
3: That's awesome. Excellent. I'm going to ask you some questions about the homeschooling a little bit later. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, So for folks who don't work in in education or for people who just aren't familiar with how special education works or why it's important, what kind of role does it play in schools? Like is it what purpose does it serve? Is it like um, I know there's a kind of perception, especially among our age group, of like special education is like a room you go to, right? And I think that that is a kind of a stigma or a um, kind of even a throwback to like um, even as recently as like the early 2000s when that was the case, right? In in some schools, it still is. So like we think of as, as special education as a place. So what is what is special ed for people who don't know?
1: And I want to thank you for bringing that up because. In 2020, there still is a misconception that special education is a place. It is not a place. Um, Yes, there are some things that, some services that occur for students in special education in certain areas. However, the intention of the, well, I should say now that we've, we're a little more enlightened, we've discovered that the the original intention of the program has had to change because we cannot keep kids um, secluded from everybody else. So Mm -hmm. with that being said, I'm gonna answer your question. Um, Special education services are federally mandated services for any student um, diagnosed with a disability. And there's like a list of different categories. Mm -hmm. I'll just quickly tell you that I primarily work with students with um, either a learning disability, such as dyscalculia, which is math, or um, dyslexia, which is reading. Um, I also work with students who have ADHD, or Mount Intellectual Disability, which is MID, and kids who are on the spectrum, just depending on where they fall on that spectrum.
3: I was just thinking about, since, Annie, you kind of set it up for that, like thinking about when you first were working it, because you started as a paraeducator, correct? Right. So thinking about when you were doing that work as a paraeducator to now as a a certified special education teacher and just the years of time, like you said, we supposedly should have learned some things. I mean, what are some of the biggest differences you see back then versus now? And what are some things that are kind of the same that
1: maybe shouldn't be? (laughs) Um, That's a good question. Actually, the teacher with whom I was assigned. I learned a lot from being in her classroom. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Um, Some of the things that I saw her do, I do in my classroom as far as. (laughs) what it should look like, seriously, first of all, I don't know whether to start with the parents in terms of showing them how to um, advocate and and navigate the system for their kids. Or I don't know Mm -hmm. if I should start with the system itself because the kids are with us for seven, eight hours a day. So it's our responsibility to make sure they get what they want. But we're still Mm -hmm. in the, we're still in the phase of misconceptions like Annie talked about earlier in terms Mm -hmm. of special education being a place and not a service. And unfortunately, um, those misconceptions cause a lot of tension Mm -hmm. in our schools. And as I spend more time on Twitter and connecting with more teachers and there people are sending me DMs telling me, you know, I appreciate you because I'm going through this or I've been through this. And And I think, honestly, the biggest hindrance to giving kids the quality of service they need is the structure of our schools, because we're not not getting the education that we need as teachers, Um, even myself. I find most of my stuff online, on Google. I come across stuff um, like dyscalculia. I've been researching that since last summer, because I wanted to know how to better serve my students in math class. I'm not getting any Mm. training on that. Mm. I looked up the training and most of it is in it's in London. I can't afford to mm. go to London to get trained on that. Right. Yeah. You know, and there's no
3: money in schools to then for you to be able to apply for a grant or something. Mm. It's just impossible.
1: It's impossible. It's impossible. So we have, we have a couple of things going on at the same time. So we need better, better training for parents for advocacy. We need, I prefer to teach my students about advocacy too. Um, because mm, yeah. they need to be able to they need to be able to be in the classroom and, and remind a teacher nicely the first time, I need my accommodations. Yeah. The first time. And I tell my students, if you don't get it the first time, you come and see me and let me know. But parents, yeah. the students need to be trained on advocacy. And then the whole the bigger chunk is the structure of K-12. We are not mm. doing as much as we can to serve our students. And that goes to training and even if you got to sit through a training every year about the laws, because some people just disregard mm-hmm. everything every day, 180 days yeah. a year is just disregarded. So if you have to go through a training mm-hmm. at the beginning of every school year on just the law and what you are required to do in terms of checking off that list, that's just the first step right there. And then you got to get mm-hmm. into, OK, if I'm a general ed teacher and I have a co-teacher, what does that look like? What is my responsibility in that relationship. And then if you're a general ed teacher and you don't have a co-teacher, but you do have kids in your classroom who have an IEP, you need to know what that's Mm. supposed to look like too. Right. And then then even some of us, even some of us special ed teachers, we need to be reminded on what we're supposed to do too in those um, resource classrooms, which is where I teach. I teach resource. So I teach sixth grade math and science. I'm using the exact same standards as the general ed, but my students have the benefit of being in a smaller classroom with me because then I can go slower and I can do things that I feel that I need to do to make sure they get what they need. Yeah, Mm
2: -hmm. I think that there's some, there's some advantage to that education. Like you're talking about training people yearly or on some kind of routine basis, because I think about as a, I'm a general education teacher and just the, the kind of periodic reminders that this is the responsibility of all staff it's not just the responsibility of special education teachers it's the respons- your responsibility to to know the law and to know how special education functions in your classroom but then also that gives general education teachers leverage when it comes to putting pressure on their school districts or on their mm-hmm. on their state governments right because we think you think about like um, the lack of enforcement of IEPs or the lack of uh, structures to support special ed. Um, those are, those are systemic issues that exist at, um, at the, you know, school district level, at the state level. Um, and so, because so much of education is put, you know, education administration is put onto the states and local, local uh, governments and school boards and things like that. So, you know, it gives everybody leverage to try to make it better for kids.
1: You're absolutely Would you correct. Mind-
3: would you mind defining real fast for any listeners who don't really know um, the acronym, like IEP versus a 504? I know we've talked about it in the past on on some of our shows, but in your mind, how do you describe that to people who really don't know, whether it's kids or um, their parents or teachers?
1: Okay, so the easiest way I can explain the difference is that, well, I hate to say it this way, but this is one of the ways, this is the one of the easiest ways to keep them straight.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: 504. If you have a 504 plan, there's no federal money for that. If mm-hmm. you have an IEP, that's a, that's a there's way federal money, money for that. Yeah. However, I mean, you can still, you are still responsible for adhering to that 504 plan, just as you mm-hmm. are an IEP. So an IEP, I would say, it's more, it's more um, in depth. So with an IEP, Individualized Education Plan or Program, people use both. there there are steps that you have to go through to get it, to get to that point. Um, And now we have, well, when I first started teaching here in Georgia, we had what was called student support team, SST. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of being pushed aside a little bit for uh, RTI response to intervention. Yeah. Um, So the student has to go through the RTI process, which is, if if you're identified as having deficits or you're struggling in a certain area, your teachers have to come together and think of some strategies to use in the classroom to try and help you. The, the bad part about that is this kid could be getting the same strategies for an entire school year
4: mm-hmm.
1: before they really get any true help. Mm-hmm. So a kid could be on RTI level one, for a year, and then they could be on level two the next year. The kid is still struggling. The kid is still not accessing the curriculum because we have yeah. not identified what the issue is. And it's not disengagement. It's not lack of support at home because the kid mm-hmm. is sitting in your classroom five days right. a week for a year, and then they get passed on to someone else. And and I I think, and this is just my opinion, people can disagree. I think RTI is a way to keep the numbers of students who get referred Mm
4: -hmm.
1: to special education low because districts don't want to invest the money in helping the kids who need the help.
4: Yeah.
1: So it's kind of like, this is our way to quote unquote cap the number of kids we have in special ed because the process is so long and drawn out Uh and it's so flawed Right. You can yeah. literally have a kid go through sixth, seventh and eighth grade and still be on RTI and still be struggling. And that is not fair.
3: Yeah, no way. It's All not right.
1: fair. Yeah. But then that opens up another can of worms with the conversations that we hear about um, overrepresentation of black and Hispanic kids in special yeah. education. But me, a black woman, I'm saying to you, I know what I see in my classroom.
4: Yeah,
1: I know what I've seen in my classroom. I've been in general ed classrooms as the co-teacher, and I've seen kids who are quote unquote not mine struggling. Mm -hmm, They they either are not on RTI or they've been on RTI for so long and they've not gotten the kind of services that they need to make any kind of improvement or for at least to say, okay, we've tried everything. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to go to the to the absolute next step. We need to make a referral. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because we're so afraid that people are going to be like, no, you have too many black kids or yeah. too many black boys in special education. But my thing is, I don't want anybody to leave me without knowing how to read. Right. 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 Yeah. And so yep. if I got to get a federal document set right. up for a kid to hold you accountable for making sure they learn how to read and they understand what multiplication is. Mm-hmm. then that's what I have to do. Because you're not you're not doing your job if I don't say to you, this is what I'm gonna do for this kid. I'm gonna go ahead and refer this kid. I'm gonna have a conversation with the parent and say, you know what I think you need to do? To get your kid help, this is what you gotta do. So you can get yeah. mad at me. You can get mad at me. I don't care. But I can't watch kids go through this system and go through that cycle and not see any kind of benefit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No kidding.
3: Yeah. You mentioned um, part of your work as as in general is working with parents to help Mm -hmm. them advocate. So what are some of the the things over the years that you've learned about working with parents? Um, We know we also have a resource, A Parent's Guide to Being in the Driver's Seat. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that work as well.
1: My number one piece of advice to parents is to ask questions Mm. all the time, even Mm -hmm. if you have to ask it three times. Um, Even despite what you think people might be thinking of you, when you ask questions, ask questions. Yeah. And then my piece of advice to my Spanish speaking parents is to never, ever come to a meeting without an interpreter. Even if you bring a child or somebody else to translate for you or interpret for you, I'm sorry, you still request mm. a school based interpreter. Mm, yes. That's That's yes. what the money is for. It's part of our yeah. responsibility mm-hmm. to you. And I tell parents, you don't sign anything if it's not in your language or if you don't understand it. You don't sign it. You call me and you ask yep. me what it is. I try to give them a heads up if I have to send something home and I don't have it in Spanish. I'll be like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm sending this home with your child. This is what it is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And this is what it means. And so pretty much I've established that relationship with my Spanish speaking parents. So, But we just got to get parents comfortable. I'm going to say mm-hmm. this. I'm sorry. Black and Hispanic parents comfortable because white parents advocate for their kids. And I'm not saying yeah, that. I'm not saying yep, that yeah. to, to do a, a black versus white or I'm not saying that. Yep. What I'm saying is I've seen parents get done. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I've seen white kids who know how to make sure they get there. I've seen with my own two eyes this school year, I've seen students who say, I need to go take my test in a small setting because that's one of my accommodations. That's where I'm trying to get my kids. That's where I'm trying to get my kids. I'm trying to get them to that point to understand that you saying that is not you being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. It's not you being insubordinate. You are making Mm -hmm. sure because your parent is not here and you only get missewed for one year. Mm -hmm. You got to make sure you know what to ask for. And you have to make sure that when you don't get what you ask for, that you know, you have the right to say, Mm
4: -hmm. I need my
1: accommodations. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the so the encouraging the parents to ask questions and to advocate and then encouraging the Spanish speaking parents to make sure they're not signing stuff that they don't know what it is. Yeah. So that's the first yeah. step right there.
2: I think there's something really cool happening. I've seen this in some, especially in secondary, but um with IEPs having student-led IEPs, especially in the high school level, um, where students are are collaborating more closely with their special education case managers and Kind of giving some of that power to students, especially as they get to be closer to graduating. They have, um, you know, they're going to go on to the workplace or they're going to go on to a training program or they're going to go to community college and and they get some accommodations in in those settings. Um, But like just being able to, like you exactly like you said, advocate for themselves,
1: right? Right. And um, I teach middle school. So we're 11, 12, 13. Okay. But I do, um, I have invited students to their IP meetings. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up some of just the racial and cultural dynamics of the work too, because kind of to your point, like there's the element of like white privilege and just some of the cultural norms around complaining and advocating and, and whatever, speaking up and thinking you're right or whatever that nonsense is. Um, some of those qualities, right. We really need kids actually to have and embrace as to, to your point around advocacy. And I think there's also something to be said around teachers, particularly like white teachers who are having kids who advocate for themselves who aren't aren't white, looking like making sure that they are reflective that when a kid is advocating for themselves, it's that kid doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Because I think there's also some unconscious bias that can sometimes happen there um, for when kids stand up for themselves, right? Whether we're talking about special education accommodations or just in general when a kid is questioning what the teacher in authority is doing in this particular
1: space. And absolutely. And that's why we need to start with the parents because I need to be able Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, I'm just letting you know that your student is in my class for 180 days. So my goal is by the end that your student knows how to make sure they get their accommodations. So I just need you to understand that maybe next year or three years down the road, your child may be requesting those accommodations and it may be viewed by the teacher as being getting smart or whatever. So you need to understand what I'm doing here because I need you to be ready for when that day comes, when you have to say, no, my child was not being disrespectful. My child was making sure they got their accommodations,
3: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like since your expertise, especially in the math and sciences, is there anything particular to that? Those disciplines that you find are different when it comes to this work or
1: unique oh to the, those disciplines? <laughs> and I, and like I said, I'm, I'm still learning and yeah. you know, I was really going this summer. I was just all over the place. And then when school started, because we have a pacing guide that we have to follow for math, where the state lays out how many weeks you get to spend on each unit. Mm. I had some trying times at the beginning of the school year because um, you don't know the kids when they come in. Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely right.
1: You don't know what they know. Yeah, I can look at your IEP, but if your IEP is not well-written, that's not going to tell me what, what the gaps are you have in math. Mm -hmm. So the first unit, we're only supposed to spend six weeks on it. We spent an extra, uh, I want to say three and a half to four weeks on our, on our first unit. So we're already behind and I'm going to, I'm going to be careful about staying behind. because People don't like to hear that, but in terms of me doing what I'm required to do as part of my job and, um, staying with the the schedule the district has laid out and taking the assessments and whatnot, but all that changed later. But anyway, quote unquote, we were behind. Yeah. So, and I struggled first semester. I was like, damn, how am I going to catch them up? How am I going to catch them up? We're behind. It's not fair to them. I'm stressed out. And then when we finally did move to the second unit, I was like, you know what? We're going to be behind all year. And it's not for lack of trying. It's just that. I'm still trying to figure out how to teach kids with this math disability. It's not just a generic disability. It is Mm. dyscalculia. Again, we don't have that conversation using that word. It's not in any of the IEPs. It's not in any of the evaluations because if we, if we name it, then we're under an obligation to train us Mm. on how to do it. So when I realized that my students, the main deficit is number sense, and you only give me six weeks to teach it to students who were with other people the year before and somebody else the year before that who just don't know, who didn't know about dyscalculia and what it means. I said, you know what? We're going to get and do whatever, we're going to get through and do whatever we can. Mm -hmm. And every time we had a sixth grade math meeting and they would ask, okay, where are you guys? And for those extra three and a half, four weeks, i said, oh, we're still on unit one. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, I can't move forward until my kids are ready to move forward.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: That's right? right.
2: You, yeah. Can't get yeah. Blood.
1: you can't get blood from a turnip. So if they're not ready to move forward, <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. move forward. So we're going to be behind. I said, you know what? I accepted it. I accepted that. And once I accepted yeah. that, I said, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure we keep seeing those um, skills and number sense but just giving them a little bit of the other stuff that they needed because number sense is the foundation of anything. And if we can get the number sense,
4: we yeah, right. can
1: eventually pick up the other stuff. And sure mm. enough, sure enough, when we got to unit three on expressions and equations, I tell you, it was like turning a corner mm. because we weren't spending so much time on the multiplication and division because they got it because we spent so much time right. on it. So when yeah. we got to expressions and equations, which is more complicated, sure, they were getting it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So I mm-hmm. told myself, trust yourself,
4: mm-hmm.
1: because spending those extra weeks paid off for my students. And then when we got to area and stuff in second semester, they stayed on it. Yeah, and awesome. They um, yeah, stayed on it. Yeah, and it's because I invested that extra time. And yeah, we were behind, but I invested that extra time on that first unit, those skills, mm-hmm. because they needed to have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
3: so, I mean, what you're, what you're describing, I I think about how many teachers I've heard a similar story to, or my own experience teaching EL students and that same pressure of like, you got to get the pacing guide or they got to catch up or they got to do whatever. And I just uh, like re- constantly re- you know, that self-talk of like, no, this is where they're at, and this is fine where they're at. All of this, like, pacing is fabricated anyway. Like, it's just arbitrary, right. right? And to your point, like, if you slow down and you hit those things strong in the beginning, you, you often make up that time later on. And again, since it's also arbitrary anyway, it's like, what is the most essential thing that these students need to know that's foundational into the next grade levels that they go into,
1: or whatever the, the right. next thing is for them? And that's a good point. And you know, it was during that first semester. Kind of in the beginning, but more so in the middle of that first semester when I started um, interacting with people on Twitter who were using uh, Open Up Resources mm. and um, Utah Math Project. And I'm also in the Facebook group for Open Up Resources. And I was like, wait a minute, this is y'all's first unit? That's not our first unit. And I was like, so not only are we te- we in Georgia teaching math in a different sequence, The skills than everybody else who's all, everybody all over the country is using this stuff and they're, and it's situated differently. So not only am I dealing with kids who have some, some skills gaps, Mm -hmm. but now I have to consider the possibility that we're not teaching um, it in the right order. And, And keep in mind, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't major in math. Okay. I have a history degree. Hey. <laughs> yes. I have a history, to, but you know, we are thinkers.
3: Yeah. Right. We, Absolutely.
1: we, we analyze everything. Yeah. And I was like, so are we, are we teaching? Are we not only ignoring, um, this, and it's not just a struggle with special ed, but a lot of kids are struggling with number sense. Absolutely. Right. All across sixth and seventh grade. They're yeah. all struggling. Adult,
3: some adults right now, especially under COVID nineteen, have some. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. <guys. laughs> so I was like, wait a minute. If if it's not just that, now we got to add this mm-hmm. other this other question of, are we even teaching it in the right order?
3: Huh. Yeah.
1: But That's this stressful. stuff that you it's added stress, right? Yeah. I know, and it's something that I can't really. Um, yeah. I couldn't work on it in the middle of the semester. I couldn't mm-hmm. say okay, let me figure out what I can do. I thought I could, but I couldn't. Right. I said, I'm gonna have to come back to this over the summer because I don't have time right now. But yeah. it's another consideration. Mm-hmm.
3: If you have a background in history, what made you decide to focus in on the math and the science?
1: I was good in math. <laughs> nice. And awesome. I, I, I told my students, I said, because we were working on something, oh, they don't like long division. Because the, link, the length of the numbers are intimidating. I said, listen, yeah. y'all, I almost I almost cussed. I said, I was thinking that long division kicked my ass in fifth grade. And I'm not lying. I'm not making it's this hard. Up. Long I, hard. No, I remember a struggle. Yeah. I was always the last person to finish the warm ups in the morning because it was uh, long division. And I was always, and I would get them wrong. I was always the one struggling. I don't know when or how I turned that corner, but I did. And after that, it was like math. I still do long division to this day by hand. Yeah. Oh, really? That's awesome. By hand. Multiplication too. And I told my students, it's okay. It's okay that you're struggling. It's okay. Because sometimes the brain is not ready for some some stuff. And -hmm. it's okay. You'll get over it. But I, I don't know. It's just, that's how I made one of those connections. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Wait, you're teaching math." I said, "I know." Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not a lifelong sentence that I that you struggle with math.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there are ways around
2: right. it. You can recover. Yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 I, that remember me have me flashing back to, um, I think I must've been fifth grade, third grade, maybe, I don't know, some long division. And I remember I was, my grandma was like trying to help me and she's, she kept forcing me to use a paper. I'm like, I'm allowed to use a calculator for like this one, <laughs> but she wouldn't let me use calculator. And I just remember being so mad at her. At yeah. That. Oh yeah. Um, this is a good time to take a quick break and uh, then we'll pick right back up.
0: This is producer Doug of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. PLU probably doesn't need any introduction. They've been part of the Tacoma community since 1890. Maybe your kids went there. Hey, maybe you went there. Go Lutes! But if you're thinking about revamping your career or launching a second career, have you thought about PLU for a master's program? PLU offers a dozen master's degrees and postgraduate certificates. And get this, some of them can be completed in as little as nine months. Get your master's in education and become someone's favorite teacher. Get your MFA and unleash your inner poet. Or focus on the body and how it works with the new master's in kinesiology. Applications for all master's programs are on a rolling basis. For more information, visit PLU dot e d u slash graduate to learn more plu for the next step in your career
1: and
2: we're back so monies you are an iep consultant how did you get how did you get into how did you get into that and um, how do you work with families like what's the what's your what's your role what's your um that's that sounds like a really rad thing and I just want to know more about it
1: okay so that's like my my unofficial title or one that I gave myself um many many years ago I had this dream of starting a visual performing arts charter school and I've kept in contact with some of the parents who were um in that group over the years and one of the parents actually reached out to me a few years ago because they needed help with um, what's the word I want to use? scaring the crap out of one of the schools <laughs> because they weren't they weren't they weren't forthcoming with this mm-hmm. family and and they were trying to railroad a child. so and I wasn't working at the time, so I was like, okay, I said, I'll come to the meeting with you." So yeah. I just went to the meeting with her and sat there with her and um made sure everything was on the up and up.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was I've never really been an official consultant, but I've had people reach out to me mm-hmm. and ask me questions about IEPs and ask yeah. me to read over IEPs. I've had special ed teachers ask me to help them with goal writing goals. Yeah. So maybe this is a way for me to figure, to kind of like, think about what I want to do once I leave the classroom.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, because the IEP is so important. It is, yeah. We have to make sure it's written for that child. Mm-hmm. And we have to make sure it's well written. And we have to make sure that everything that we could think of at that time is included in the IEP. But most importantly, I need parents to understand what's in them. Mm -hmm. You know, I know those meetings are intimidating. I know they're long. I make a conscious effort not to use a lot of jargon when we're in the meeting. Yeah. Because I need to make sure you understand what's going on. I don't want you signing anything if you don't know, if you don't truly understand what it means. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. So while I'm not officially doing, doing consulting work, I do. I do answer emails and, and requests for people who say, can you explain something to me? Or, you know, this doesn't sound right to me. What do you think? I do that. And people are like, you should be charged. I'm like, yeah, well, the people that I really (laughs) want to help probably couldn't afford, Mm. Yeah, they couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. But if I can help a parent who then goes and talks to a friend and helps that friend Mm -hmm. understand what's in that IEP. And then that friend right. talks to another friend and helps that friend understand what's in the IEP. I have three parents who can now go sit in an IEP meeting and ask the right questions, mm-hmm. um, make sure they get what their kid needs, and they know how to hold people accountable. Right. That's three, pe- that's three people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Have you ever been, when you were gone into like help with someone or advocate, with a parent or been by their side with an IEP, have you ever met any kind of resistance from that?
1: Oh,
3: absolutely. <laughs> Should be what kind of resistance? is there?
1: <laughs> The body language changes immediately.
3: Oh yeah. When
1: you when you say hi, um, my name is Loni Seward. I am whatever title I make up for that day. <laughs> I'm also,
4: yes. <laughs>
1: I'm also a former special education teacher, so I'm just here to ensure that the parents or the family, they get what they need for their child. Ooh, the body language changes real fast, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, real fast. Mm -hmm. You hear me? Facial expressions change too. Um, And it's sad because I'm pushing for parents to be more involved in that part of it. So I can pull back and focus on what's going on in my classroom. Because if Mm -hmm, I can get rid of some of that responsibility, not that it's, I'm saying it in a negative way, but if I know that you know the IEP forwards and backwards, and you know your child's rights, I can push that off to you. And then I can really focus on what's going on in my classroom. Because when your child comes home and you know they had a quiz or a test, you're going to ask that child, Mm -hmm. did you get your accommodations?
3: Right. Right.
1: I don't have to do that. I can focus on other stuff. You can handle that as a parent. And you know. Mm When you come up to the school and say, we need to have a conversation, guess what? It's not Monique who's being viewed as antagonistic or always complaining. You now have a parent who wants to see documentation that you gave mm-hmm. their child, everything their child was entitled to. So guess what? I'm neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm neutral because my job was done because I wrote the IEP. Right. <laughs> And the parent, I made sure the parent understood what was in the IEP. And if they had input, I put it in there. And then once they agreed to it, they signed it. And then as the teacher record, if I give you a copy of those accommodations, the responsibility now falls on you. Mm -hmm. So then that becomes an issue with accountability. Somebody has to hold you accountable now. And it's not even me. It's going to be the parent. It's going to be that administration.
3: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You hope right, I mean that's what we're that's what the goal is ultimately <laughs> fingers crossed she has yes. her fingers crossed there, yes, so you've actually written about quite a few of these issues, and obviously other ones that are related on your blog um lately you've been writing like do you see actually two questions? do you see your blog and your writing as an extension of this work as well with consulting and so on, or is it more of a creative outlet for you?
1: You know what it's an outlet when I'm really frustrated, um, most of the time, I can say what I have to say in a string of tweets
4: Yeah. other
1: times, but other times there's something that I want to be in one place in one, in one document. So somebody may come back and want to refer to it. Um, Now I used to blog a lot, but now I I spent so much time at work. Like I would go in early and stay late and I just, I just didn't have the energy to keep it up and I could be doing it now. But again, most of the stuff I talk about, I can put in a couple of Mm -hmm. of tweets. I I Mm -hmm. really want to at least, blog once a week but you know what I've been to the point where I've been saying to myself I already said this (laughs) yeah I keep saying the same it's like me running into the theater saying fire fire and people are seeing that it's on fire but they're still not moving
3: right I have the same time I'm like didn't I didn't I say this did I tweet this did I talk with a friend like what is happening Mm -hmm. well and you I mean you mentioned Twitter how do people find you if they want to follow you on Twitter? We'll obviously link to that, but maybe you can say the, the address as well.
1: <laughs> Lady with the big mouth. No, i just playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's at Monice, M-O-N-I-S-E-L Seward, S-E-W-A-R-D. Or they can just type in Monise. Yeah. I'm probably the only one who's going to come up.
3: so um some of my favorite discussions have involved you on twitter um related to just um keeping i I would almost say like i'm really bad sometimes even though i'm an english teacher i'm like bad at metaphors and analogies at times um it's like keeping people's feet to the fire right like taking people to task. like i feel like you're always that person in there um being critical but like it's a very new it's it's Honest, but it's also very um. It's new. It's like not. It's nuanced. I don't know how to. I don't. I don't know a better know word for that. Saying. Yeah. And so I'm curious as you think about your experience with folks online and just more teachers from across the world and the country. Um, what have been some of the biggest like discussions or arguments that you've gone into,
1: um,
3: maybe some that turned out for the good and some that are haven't turned out for the good
1: yet? <laughs> Woo! Okay, so one of them we already talked if about. you feel
3: like getting into that, yeah. it's
1: up to you. The first one we we <laughs> talked about already about the number of black and um, brown kids in special yeah. education. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the kind of person who says, if you're gonna point out a problem, you need to bring me a solution because right. I, I know what I see in my classroom, I know what I see in the school, Kids are reading two, three, four levels below grade level. Um, they're struggling with math. Yes, the school is responsible because we're not, we don't, teachers don't have the right training, we don't have the right tools, but at the same time, you can still be held accountable because of the IEP. So for all the kids who are not in special ed, there's no accountability for teachers mm-hmm. or the school. They're just it's left to their own. Devices. Sadly. Sadly, yes. yeah. 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 Um, another issue is.
3: So um, you receive pushback because folks are saying that's not a very like racially critical lens, is that kind of the idea, or just people don't know how to reconcile those two things?
1: That's it. Right there. Yeah. Because, and I and I think I tweeted this months ago. Um, if we are willing to admit that lack of health care, lack of good food, yeah, lack of economics um lack of safe living environments if we are willing to admit that those disproportionately affect black and hispanic kids why can't Mm -hmm. we go three steps further and say this is why so many of them are in need of services
4: Mm -hmm.
1: because if you're not getting quality pre-k or if it's not even available to you right who's teaching you how to read (laughs) yeah in the beginning and then you can look at it this way if um Let's say your parents, let's say you have two parents in the home and they both like just graduated from high school, just, just to get, just to get it out of the way. But they both admit, I didn't really do too well in school. You know mm-hmm. what I hear as a special ed teacher? I wonder if you got the kind of services you needed when you were in school. Right. So then we got to yeah. go back to the generation and say, well, what about your parents who maybe dropped out in the ninth grade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reasoning behind that. Maybe they struggled. In school too. And then you got to go back and look at the the generation before that one who may have gone to school to the seventh or eighth grade. Mm -hmm. There's stuff there that we're not willing to address. I don't know if it's because it's too painful for us to Mm -hmm. to peel the layers back and actually talk about it. But when I say things like, yes, I know there are a lot of black kids in special education, but I'm not saying that to discount anything. What I'm telling you is that's the only way We're going to make sure that small number of kids get the services and protection, protection that they need. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, it makes me think a little bit about um, the argument. So when I started teaching, it was like No Child Left Behind in 2006, right? And then it shifted to, wow, why can't I remember the acronym all of a sudden? Um, what's the new no child left behind? It's called
1: ESSA, ESSA. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so all of the testing, like all the mandatory testing, even though I often am like, I don't believe in certain kinds of standardized testing. There's all these kinds of biases Mm -hmm. and problematic issues with it. At the same time, some of that testing pointed out these gaps. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes, we, since then we've wrestled with like, is it an opportunity gap achievement? Like what's the term we're using? Um, which I think is important to talk about, but also like just, if you don't have some of those measures, you never know what's happening. And then to your point earlier, you can't keep people accountable, mm-hmm. right? You can't keep yourself accountable. You can just let yourself off the hook if you're one of those kinds of folks, or you, you know, you can't call people to doing better in their classroom. You can't call for systemic change um, in the curriculum or
1: whatever it is. I like um, that really you brought that point that. up about testing because yeah, it's a beast. Yeah. We're doing too much of it. However, yeah, we can all pick one, just pick one to use. So that we know who's sitting in front of us. Right. Mm-hmm. It needs to inform our instruction. I don't mean that in a superficial way. It needs to okay. inform our instruction. Yeah. So I, I I'm this,
2: sorry, go ahead. No, so I, I just had this conversation with an ELL teacher a couple of years ago about how we have a test in Washington called the, um, I think it's NW- ELPA. It's ELPA, but the Washington specific one is the WELPA. I don't know. Yeah. It's the language proficiency test for ELL. And it covers like basic like literacy, you know what the expectation is at each grade level, and it's actually a really great test because it measures this whole range of English acquisition, right? Of like emerging English learners and then proficient English speakers and writers. Except we don't use that test, and the ELPA is used in other Mm -hmm. states as well, but we don't Mm -hmm. use that test for everyone. So it's not normed against our other students, and I feel like there's this kind of um, a missed opportunity, right? Which is that you have this this ELPA data for decades or at least you know the last decade and a half and it gives us so much information, rich information about language acquisition and it's just, it's wasted mm-hmm. because we don't, if we tested all kids with the ELPA or if we tested all kids with the same kind of assessment and you didn't overcook kids with testing mm-hmm. um, and we didn't mm-hmm. just like burden them with te- so much testing, pick one test, get the d- data and get it for a long time, you're actually going to have more robust information about literacy. You know, and I think Absolutely. the same is, yeah, same is true for other subjects, but literacy in particular. It's really interesting.
3: I agree. Um other other pushbacks you've received for um oh, some, yeah. of your, some of your your challenges. <laughs> um, for some of your
1: critical questions. <laughs> the, the H word, homework. Oh yeah. Um, that's a hot one. <laughs> but you, but but here's the thing, Hope. I see these conversations happening. And you know what my first question is, every time I see a conversation about education happening, where's the discourse on my students? Because people don't, they don't think about kids they don't see.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, right. Or they don't think about kids who, who need a little extra in their classrooms. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you can sit and say there's no point in giving homework, that's how I know you know absolutely nothing about um, students with disabilities who have memory issues and processing deficits and for whom many repetition and practice is what they need. So mm-hmm. if you're chugging along with your state's pacing guide, but you're not giving homework, how are your kids getting that repetition? If you're sticking to that six weeks or you're cutting it six weeks short by three days and you're moving mm-hmm. on to unit how are how are my students who are sitting in your classroom getting that repetition and multiple opportunities for practice. Explain that to Mm -hmm. me. You Mm can't explain it to me because you're not adhering to those accommodations. Mm -hmm. That's why I give homework. I can just say homework. People don't know what homework means. Homework is sometimes one problem. Might be three, might be five. The most I've ever given is 10, but my homework is also interactive games that reinforce the material. But people right, think yeah. homework and they think 50 math problems. I've never given yeah, any that math problems. Yeah, that's trash. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Is yeah.
3: Trash. never. Yeah. Part of it's My, like people's bad ability. Like it's our inability to create good curriculum and assignments, like meaningful work at home.
1: Or to separate, <laughs> to separate your own experience with school right. from what right. you're there doing you as a teacher. Yeah, there you go. You know, because that one problem I give you I've already sent your parents a message saying, "Okay, the homework for tonight is this one problem. I'm not expecting mm. you to help. I'm just expecting you to ask them what they have for homework." Yeah. See, there's an accountability thing there because if I tell okay. your mom and dad that I've assigned this one problem, you yep. can't go home and say you don't have any homework. You <laughs> can't.
3: Yeah, and every parent I feel like will just be like one problem is not do it. Just No, no. <laughs> but
1: I, I and I explain to them why they only have one problem. I explain yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. You have to yeah. have that conversation in the beginning yeah. of why you do what you do. I don't have a yeah, problem true. telling parents why I do stuff that I do. I have yep. no issue. I have nothing to hide. Yep. So, if I say it's one problem for tonight, I don't get pushed back from the parents saying, "Oh, well, no. that's not really homework, is it?" No. No, <laughs> like, okay, thank you. Yeah. And, yeah. And, right? and, That's awesome. And then yeah. we move on. Yeah. So, so special ed homework. Um, this, this one is recent because of the whole COVID-19 thing.
3: Perfect. I was going to segue to uh, some COVID questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> now go for it.
1: <laughs> this, this, um, this, I don't know if it's, if it's intentional or we're just in denial about mm. the situation we're in now but people don't want to acknowledge that some kids are falling further behind.
4: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Like I said, students come to me in August, they might be one, two or three, four grade levels behind in reading. They may only be able to do addition and subtraction in the sixth grade. That's what I have to work with. Mm -hmm. I got to figure it out. But now that I have, now that I have two and a half months without you, in right. front of me, I know in here and up here, in my heart and in my brain, that my students are suffering,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat and package that up and put a bowl on it for anybody, because I speak the truth when I talk about my students. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I know where they were when they came to me. I've seen them progress because I was with them every day. I know where they were going, but. Mm-hmm. This is a complete disruption, not just, not just of the routine of going to school, but it's a disruption of learning because my students' needs are so unique and I can't give them everything that I would give them in the classroom. And I can't, like, I can't think on my feet because I can't see what they're doing when they're, when they're going over the material. I can't say, okay, you know what? Let me fall back and come back to this. I said, and I can go and reference something we did earlier in the year. Remember when we did X, Y, Z? This is the same thing, y'all. Look, and I can't show you an example because yeah. you're not in the room with me.
3: Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't point at the poster in the corner that there we made together. There you I go. can't like look, point at somebody else's example earlier. In the, yeah, yep. yeah, that speaks so
1: much. It's through. gone. It's gone. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie and say that my kids are going to be fine. Um, yeah. I'm not fine. So why would I lie and say my kids are going to be fine? <laughs> Here's yeah me. that's true why we yeah. don't we don't have yeah. to put on these brave faces and pretend like
4: yeah.
1: whenever we go back we're just gonna go back and pick up like nothing ever happened
3: yeah I mean, yeah
1: it's not, it's not true it's not true yeah
3: whenever I see someone post something and this kind of happened early on in covid like um, folks coming out and saying stuff like, you know, instead of looking deficit model, like what, how kids are going to be behind, look at how, how much they're going to be connected with their families and how much they're going to be connected to the nature and how they're going to have built this go-kart or whatever. Right. And I'm like, I want to think positively and understand the need I'm laughing. Cause it's like so ridiculous, but also I'm like, I would, yeah, you I've been, yeah. <laughs> I've been wrestling with that. And like in my own mind of like, sure. And that's not true for every kid. And that, and I often, I I feel pretty strongly that like, it's especially not true for kids that are already uh, marginalized, already disenfranchised, already have a lot of systemic things. The systems weren't made for them. Um, and they're already fighting so many things. I'm like, yes, I want to believe that being with their siblings is giving them life and cooking food with their family is giving them life. But also, hmm also everything else that you just said and I don't I don't know how to <laughs> sometimes I just I'm like I gotta scroll past that I can't. I can't
1: because you know what every day you don't have the energy for that but but like I said I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything I'm not gonna lie yes. for yep. the sake of presenting this this image that I'm holding it together because hell I'm not teaching but I have days where I don't want to get out the bed because
4: yeah man, this
1: was such an integral part of who I am mm, right yeah I am a teacher. That's how I introduce myself yes. to people in public when they see me buying all these school supplies. Oh, I'm a teacher. You know, they're like, you yeah. gotta be a teacher. I'm like, I'm a teacher. So <laughs> right. yeah, it's and just we are, to, yeah. And just to have it completely turned upside down and you'd be like, okay, well, well, hell, what do I do now? And mm-hmm. so <laughs> for anybody to say that, oh, they're all gonna be okay because they're at home. I'm gonna go back to what I told you earlier. Some of my parents only went to school to the fourth and fifth grade.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well,
2: and so many of our parents so, are are not working. And so, like, I had like, I mean, some folks still are, but like a lot of folks aren't. And that's causing a lot of new, you know, economic insecurity for our stress. families. And stress, stress, yes. Yeah. And like I know, like and um, you know.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, because you made me think of something, and and that's the main reason why um, I didn't get all gung ho and just started putting all kind of crap into the learning management system, because I know that the parents, if they are fortunate enough to still have jobs, I guess I can say that, um, that's what they're focused on, keeping their right, job yeah. and, and, staying, and staying healthy. Yeah. So I don't want you coming home. With all that going on, like, oh my God, did I come into contact with anybody today who might have the virus and I gotta go home and help my kid with their work? Yeah. I don't want you worried about that because Mm -hmm. and like I said at the beginning of the school year, homework is for them. It's not for you. All you gotta do is Mm -hmm. ask if they did it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. I'm not expecting you to help. Yeah. I've not changed that. And I and I've actually scaled back to like maybe 20% of what I would do in, in a week. I've scaled back like way, way back. I just want the kids to just look at stuff that they've already done just as a refresher. Just as mm. a refresher. I'm not, I can't teach you anything new right now because you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm not in the headspace to teach you anything new.
4: Mm.
3: Yeah. I'm just not. I think you tweeted, was like last week, it was something like you're making your lesson. I think you were making your lesson plans for the next week and you were like, it's all right. Go ahead and just read through that lesson plan because nobody did it anyway. Was I, that hey, was you, right? yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> so the way you said it, I, I just started bursting out laughing because I was just about
1: to work on my own. And I was like, Damn. So, look, that's real." Yeah. it was one assignment. You hear me? And I stretched that joker out because nobody did it. And look, now we're on the third week and i got kids who still didn't do it. So guess what, it's still open. (laughs) And guess what I do? I I just changed the date in Google Classroom so it looks like I gave them something new, I don't care. There you go, yeah.
3: That's actually the beauty of Google Classroom, make that the truth. I actually really love, I was thinking about a piece um, that you wrote and you, I just screenshotted this one part. You kind of, you just laid it out. You said, no one was prepared for this. You are not your child's teacher unless you're truly a homeschool family. And despite popular opinion, it takes mm-hmm. training, commitment, and hours of work to be an effective teacher. I just love um, how succinct that was and just kind of addressed so many of the things we're hearing and seeing people wrestling with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Absolutely. thank you for that. Um, yeah. Do we want to do Champagne and Real Pain? Absolutely.
0: Champagne from a real friend's. Real pain from myself,
3: friends. So in this segment, we're going to raise some um, fake glasses, real glasses. I don't know if either of you have champagne near you um, or coffee. any of our <laughs> listeners. Hey, raise, raise that OJ and some <laughs> coffee. I don't know. <laughs> um, or I should, yeah, raise some, something here. Um, so champagne people that are doing the work or shout outs. Um, it could be something local or it could be something more national. Um, either of you have a champagne, raise a glass.
2: I definitely do. Uh, Mine is just for special education teachers who are trying to renew their IEPs before the end of the school year, because I don't know, not everybody knows this, but they have to be renewed yearly. Mm -hmm. It's like federally mandated. Mm -hmm. I say like federally mandated, but like, listen, it's the law. So you have to renew yearly. (laughs) It's not just, it's not just because it's the law. It's because it's in the best interest of kids to have them renewed regularly. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that that gets done and it's actually illegal if you don't do it. And so the fact that special education teachers are having to like do the craziest stuff, gymnastics to like get their IEPs done, like, um, zooming with families, um, or, you know, teams or, you know, however they're getting hold of families trying to do it over the phone, um, to, you know, meeting families in their front yard and like six feet away, Here, sign this real quick. Like, it's insane. Like you guys, this is nuts. Hey. So like, when you think about like, You know, it's made this work for special ed teachers so difficult and just shout out champagne to the special education teachers who have this not optional work and are just Mm. making it work against just real difficult conditions.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Thank you. Well, you know what? I actually I tweeted about this, too. I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but um, first semester we were told that all of our IEPs had to be done by February 15th, I think. What? Yes, I was complaining. I was complaining What? what? and, and nice. moaning. But girl, guess what? I am so glad I had them jokers done before this happened.
3: Seriously. Yeah.
2: All of mine yeah. were done.
1: All of mine were done. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good.
3: Oh, my gosh.
1: I have a champagne. Yes, give Come us a champagne. I want to give a toast to all the teachers, especially general ed teachers, who can if you read my tweets if you can take what i what i tweet and not get offended and say to yourself okay i want to be better at this and you reach mm-hmm. out to me and you ask me something because you you truly want to be better at this and you want to be a better partner to your co-teacher and you want to be a better teacher to your students um i definitely think we have to recognize those people because it's not easy to say, I don't know something. Yeah. It's not easy. Even if you're saying it to yourself, that stuff still ain't easy, you know? Um, so I appreciate those people who have reached out to me or who have tweeted and said, okay, well, what about this, this, and this, Um, um, it's going to make you a better teacher. I guarantee you it's going to make you a better because you're not going to, you're going to, everything you do will be informed by the students who are in your room, who are already marginalized, you're going to start thinking mm-hmm. about those students first when you when you yeah. build your lessons. So mm-hmm. I appreciate those people.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, want to shout out, raise some champagne um, to two special education paraeducators that I had that I will never forget, Karen Polander at Clover Park School District, who's now retired, um, and Roberta Whitesell at Lincoln High School um, in Tacoma. And I just, I think about how much they made me a better teacher, how much they were able to support um, our students that they were, you know, quote unquote assigned to or working with, but also just like they cared for every kid in that classroom and they helped me see ways to reach students in a different way. And so I, I cannot thank them enough. Um, and, and, and everyone who's like them, who just makes the work. Um, yeah. It's like, it makes that, it's like corny, but it makes it like more of a team. Right. And we're in this together to do what's right yeah. for our kids. And so I just really um, want to raise a glass to them. Um, all right. Real pain, Annie, you got some real pain over there.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I do. Um, I hope you, have a you always have real pain shame. I'll make mine nice and short here. Um, so recently, Betsy DeVos, um, oh, the woman, we shall not speak her name because I did. Where's that shame uh,
3: bell? We used to have a shame bell, but I now don't know, we're all remote. We don't have our bell anymore.
2: Doug should around. be the re-
3: reader um, of
2: it. The, just, she recently was just toying with the idea of suspending like federal disability law, like during coronavirus. Oh and like understand the kind of the thinking because um that would make people's lives easier um but also civil rights so she just like (laughs) she just sucks um and that is my (laughs) real pain
3: yeah and the the inverse of what I said earlier my real pain is for all those educators who um anyone who listens to the show knows that we are quick to chastise um woke white people in particular but just all those <laughs> folks who are like i'm so woke about this issue or like i care a lot about this but and they're willing to differentiate for like a certain population but they're not willing to differentiate for learning needs especially they're just like it's too hard that kid can you know and or like trying to pawn that kid off that student off to somebody else like it's their job when it's not that's your job you took the job do your job Teach, yeah. ask for help, right? Ask for you help. can't, I don't think you can say that you're like social, just any kind of justice minded if you're not willing or making concerted effort towards reaching one of the most important populations in your classroom. So real pain for those people.
1: Okay. My <laughs> real pain, real pain for oh you? yeah, it's it's a short one though. It's a short one okay. though, but it's, it's all encompassing. Um, equity conversations that don't include students with disabilities. Huh, yeah, oh yeah is it really equity Mingo. if you don't, if you don't count them? Nope. And that nah. what you just said about the woke people that that, that was why I was thinking about that because I don't want people to think that um, learning about issues about social justice and white supremacy is not important, mm-hmm. but you don't have to ring a bell every time you do it. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're like, look do how it. great
1: I am. Look at Just this do it. That I just just do yes. it. And if, if you're really doing it for the right reason, it's going to show up in your work. It's yep. going to show up in your work. Just do
3: yep. it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mine. <laughs> Perfect. All right, final segment. Annie, real quick do your fudging homework.
0: Interchangeable. White
3: ladies. <laughs> Um, I actually shockingly don't have homework, even though we just talked about meaningful homework, even yeah. one little thing. So I guess maybe, okay, wait, I'll back it up. Maybe my one little thing is to go through our show notes and click on some of the links, educate yourself a little bit about some of these issues that are there. Um, follow Monise and uh, read some of her tweets, retweet her, and kind of think about what does it mean for your own practice, um, some of the issues that are being brought up. There you go. That's that's my that was homework. good. <laughs> it's <a>
1: good homework. <laughs> Uh bonice do you have any homework for our listeners? Uh, I do. General ed teachers, reach out to your spec co-teachers mm-hmm. and ask them right now, what are we going to do different next year? Mm-hmm. Include them. Consider them a colleague. Um, you have a wealth of knowledge to share with them. And guess what? They have a wealth of knowledge to share with you. And if you mm-hmm. two are truly in an equal relationship in the classroom. Your kids can't do anything but succeed. Yeah, so that's my that's homework. Good.
2: Perfect.
1: Yeah,
3: awesome. Thank you. Annie,
2: how about you? Um, I just go Google. I this is my. I love this homework. I love telling kids. I love telling kids to go Google something. Go Google this and talk to me about it tomorrow. Um, uh, the uh, just special education and coronavirus. Like my my wife is oh. a special ed teacher and she works in a transition program and it's so difficult for community based transition programs right now because kids are. Kids are adults, actually, because they're in the transition programs for adults 18 to 21 who have aged out of, you know, K-12. Um, they don't have those connections to the community. So many of the resources that are there for teaching and learning, um, using the metro bus, um, going to the workplace, right, to learn those life skills. They don't have those opportunities. So um, just kind of educate yourself on kind of those intersectional issues of, like, what's going on with, with, especially young people with disabilities right now and how it's especially challenging. And if there's anything, you know that comes out of this just educate yourself better, you know? I mean just like learn more about some of those issues and um you know if you're not an educator, um, it's important for you to know about. So buckle up. Do That's some work. Right.
3: Moniz, thank you so much for taking your time um, out of your, your busy day that you can be doing a million other things. We really appreciate it.
1: I had fun today. This was this is actually what I needed. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my <laughs> tweets from this morning, but I was in a bad mood <laughs> this morning. Oh, that's More, so, paperwork. So More paperwork. More <laughs> paperwork. All the
2: paperwork. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Good luck. See you right. later. Thank, thank you so much. Nice Bye-bye. to meet you, Moniz. You
1: too, Annie. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
2: Hope, do you ever just feel really crappy about your body?
3: Uh, Yes, that happens to everyone sometimes, doesn't it?
2: I mean, I think so. Especially like with coronavirus, it's totally derailed everybody's physical and mental health. I just feel like I'm just burdened with this flesh suit that could betray me at any time and never lives up to unattainable standards of humanoid beauty. Does that ever just make you like really angry?
3: Oh my gosh. It makes me so angry. I especially get angry because people just love to post these depressing body shaming ads and like inspirational quotes that are not inspirational quotes on Instagram. Those just infuriate me so much. I also, I
2: really am upset about like how people are capitalizing on this. Like, Oh, you're gross. Like Mm -hmm. here's how to be better during quarantine. I'm like, I don't know. There's gotta be a better way.
3: Uh, there is a better way. And I think that better way is starting a book club. We should read about this topic. In fact, I have the perfect book for us. The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. It's so good. And I think it's something we need right now.
2: I love that. Here's um, some info I found online. Uh, It might pique the interest of our readers or our listeners, excuse me. In a revolutionary departure from the corporate self-help and body positivity movement, Taylor forges the inextricable bond between radical self-love and social justice.
3: I just get chills hearing you read that. So I think the first step is that we need to recognize that we're all indoctrinated into this crazy system of body shaming that profits off of our self-hatred. And then we need to ask ourselves, who's going to benefit from our collective shame? You know, we can begin to make this distinction between the messages we're receiving about our bodies and other bodies and actually what is true. Sign me up. When do we start? Uh, Let's start right now. First of all, you got to go get a copy of your book. I highly recommend going to your favorite bookseller. If you're in Tacoma, go to King's Books. On it. Then you just got to read it, of course, and probably take some notes.
2: Okay. Read it, take notes. Got it.
3: Okay. And then because I love to give that so much homework, I'm going to add one more step. You're going to follow Interchangeable White Ladies podcast on social media. Join the virtual conversation with the hashtag read less basic.
2: Until then. bye. Bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We buy Alaska. Alaska.
3: Book your next flight on alaskaair.com.
2: I got a, um, speaking of technology things, Zoom oh. is like, apparently like, I got an email that was like a phishing email from somebody who's trying to get me, like, <laughs> join Zoom with me. And it was like Zoom with like six O's.
0: The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Founders B Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You?
1: This is Channel 253.